0: Ladies and gentlemen, I am here with you today, uh, t- To standing here, surrendering my will to you, because I got it wrong. I got it completely wrong. If you listened last week, uh, I said that there was no way, towards the end of the show last week, I said that there was no way... There was no way that Carlos Correa was going to re-sign with the Twins, even though that was the, uh because he he had been failing his physicals with the past two teams that he had tried to say, sign with, and uh, I thought there was no possible way that the Twins, uh I mean, not even the Twins, I guess Carlos Correa would want to go back to the Twins. No offense to the Twins. I said that, too. I was like, look, listen, it's the Twins, I get it, but they're not the best of teams. They're not the most glamorous of cities, if you will. Uh, when it comes to superstar players, you don't see a lot of people opting to go to Minnesota to play uh, for the twins. That's all I'm saying. Nothing more than that. Uh, And I thought there was no possible, I guess, especially for a guy like Carlos Correa, who can, who can demand a big time money, which is what he was doing. And I thought there was no possible way that he was going to be going back to the Minnesota twins. And ladies and gentlemen, I lay down my sword. I was incorrect. Basically, mere a mere few hours after that, the deal went through. Uh, my worst prediction yet, I would say, is that one. Uh, I thought he was going to sign with maybe the Dodgers or something. He was going to switch over to the Dodgers uh, or some another big market team, something like that. The Dodgers, the Yankees, you know, somebody would be okay with the physical information that they got. And uh, the Twins came in. They said, "Look." we will offer you the big bucks 6 years 200 million uh, 200 million and you're you're uh, you're physical to us looks good so we're going to take you and uh, he signed it and I couldn't believe it I thought for sure he was going to he was he was hitting the road even if it wasn't with the Mets or with the Giants I thought it was going to be with the 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 Dodgers or or um, you know the Yankees or somebody uh, the Chicago the, the the Cubs I guess possibly the White Sox whatever that was going to be one of those bigger market teams and guess what I was wrong. I was wrong. I lay down the sword. I apologize. The worst, my worst, my worst, uh, uh, my worst prediction, for sure, because I was I was dead wrong after a mere few hours after that podcast came out, after that episode came out, and uh, he was back in the old twins uniform. And there you go, Minnesota, you get uh, you get your big signing, I guess is what you could say. You guys already had him essentially, but now you get him long term, six years, 200 million dollars. Solid player. I mean, if he doesn't, you know, if, if his leg issue, his groin issue, whichever it was that they, uh, they were coming up on in the, uh, in the physical, um, you know, you, you got him back anyways. If it, that, if that doesn't cause a problem, then you got a good, a solid hitter, good fielder with a great arm. I don't know how long he'll play shortstop because his, uh, his lateral movement is not given, you know, how, how, you know, how big he is and also the leg issue if it is as big of a deal as the other teams thought it would be uh we'll see how long he remains a shortstop but i mean he could slide over to third base with that arm no problem uh he'll get you if if he's playing well he gets you 25 30 plus home runs a year and uh you know over 100 rbis if he plays a full 162 game season you know not 162 142 plus game season something like that he can easily get you that and maybe a 260 uh 260 batting average if you're if you're uh if you're if he's playing very good that that's what you can expect if you're a Twins fan and uh who knows who knows what the Twins team can turn out to be I don't know if they're I don't know if that really makes them contenders uh in the AL the AL Central still maybe a little bit wide open the Indian, or excuse me not the Indians the Guardians uh surprised really everybody last year with how well they played in that in that division and to me that division is still pretty much wide open. Who knows what they're going to get out of the White Sox. Who knows what they're going to get out of the, uh, the guardians again this year and the twins again, who's who knows what we're going to get out of the twins. I think the, the, the Tigers and uh, the Royals are still kind of expected to be more or less the bottom feeders of that division, but the top three I think are kind of, uh, they're they're up for grabs in that sense. And signing a guy like Carlos Correa, if he plays a, a f- decent full season, doesn't miss you know eighty plus games, you can win. I think he's he he gives you enough, gives the Twins enough uh, along with Buxton if he can stay healthy as well, gives the Twins enough, especially on offense, to be able to propel them to uh, the one seed if they can get to that point. But we'll see. Again, the Guardians surprised everybody; they played a lot better than everybody thought, and the White Sox feel like kind of a sleeping giant that's what it felt like last year but they were hammered by injuries last year as well um so who knows who who knows what we'll see out of Carlos Correa uh but he's not going to be in a Dodgers uniform like I thought he's not going to be in a Yankees uniform like I thought he's going to be in a Twins uniform and you know what I was wrong about that I apologize I'm so sorry um Welcome ladies and gentlemen. I don't think I've, I've welcomed everybody to the weekend sports wrap podcast in a while. I think I just kind of get into it and I forget to do to, to the welcoming stuff. Welcome. Hello everybody to the weekend sports wrap podcast. Uh, it's a beautiful Tuesday as of recording this. The 17th wildcard weekend is all wrapped up. We're going to get into that in the NFL and we're going to talk a little bit UFC. What a disastrous week uh, weekend week for the UFC. It has been Uh, and then uh, yeah more NFL preview the divisional round and stuff like that. So we'll get into that first really quickly uh, some janitorial things if you don't mind uh, rating this podcast if you're listening to it over on Spotify Apple podcasts whatever you want to go on the on the old road and listen to this podcast make sure you're doing it on one of those podcasting platforms give me a rating if you wouldn't mind five stars that would be hugely 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 appreciated. Um, gets us into the, the trending section of those podcasting platforms a little bit more you can listen to it anywhere spotify apple podcast google podcast stitcher wherever you listen to your podcast you can listen to this one on there as well so and make sure you give me a rating i'd really appreciate that as well okay let's talk about some football wild card weekend it was a ton of fun we had upsets we had crazy comebacks we had some i guess one dumb do- well two dominant victories and uh the first dominant victory i want to talk about because guess what I'm making another prediction. You think that one loss prediction by Car- about Carlos Correa is going to scare me away from making predictions? No. No, I'm coming up firing. I don't care if I miss. I could be like Russell Westbrook shooting a three ball right now and just completely clank it off the backboard. I don't care. I'm going to come out and shoot another one because I've got a prediction, ladies and gentlemen. I've got a prediction. So let's start with the game I want to talk about first. The Cowboys, the Bucks. that game was a disaster for the Bucs. I was banking on the idea that... um Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady, Tom Brady in the playoffs. I was like, okay, we can forget everything about the regular season. It doesn't matter because it's Tom Brady in the playoffs. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Uh, They were terrible. Uh, That team was just a complete mess from start to finish. I've never seen Tom Brady that skittish, I guess, stepping back to throw the ball. He was missing guys uh, in, in spots that I'd never seen Tom Brady miss uh, easy crossing routes over the middle, slant routes over the middle. Uh, he was trying to throw a ball away, that ended up being an interception, which was wild. Uh, either throwing the ball away or trying to get Chris Godwin, and Chris Godwin ran the other way. I, I don't know what happened on that interception. That was as bad of an interception as I have ever seen uh, Tom Brady throw. And it was, I think, a, they they said on the broadcast that was his first interception, uh, a red zone inter- interception since the twenty nineteen season with the Patriots, which is. Mind boggling to me that somebody can be that effective in the red zone for that long. Um, and yeah, that that was just a very uh, I, I had no idea what to take from that game. I really was like banking on the fact that the defense for the most part, uh, for the most part, all season long had not been. Very bad for that Bucks team. They played pretty well, pretty much all season long. Um, they, they were at least, at the very least, keeping that offense in the game for the most part. Uh, in, in games for the most part, from week one through week eighteen, they were one of the better defenses in the NFL. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, because there was a lot of less than stellar defenses in the NFL as well. They they ranked in the uh, the bottom, or excuse me, the top fifteen in epa which is expected points added a a pretty decent stat to look at if you're looking at uh total like you know all-encompassing uh uh, performance of offense and defense that's probably the best way to kind of look at it and uh their epa they were right in the middle top 15 they were one of the the 15 best or the better half of the nfl when it comes to epa they were at uh, negative 0.002 so literally right in the middle i mean as as middling as you can get but they were better on uh they were one of the better team or excuse me one of the better teams on uh rush epa they were great rush defense uh for the most part this season and uh their pass defense was not as good uh but it was still decent enough and i thought maybe i thought that defense would pick it up but not todd bowles a defensive head coach i thought they would be able to pick it up a little bit more and especially with uh, Dak Prescott, who had been turnover happy as turnover happy as basically any quarterback had been in the last half of the season. I believe he had like 14, 15 interceptions in the last half of the season, something not very good. I mean, he didn't have a single game. In the regular season, after week uh, after the the win against the Vikings, where he didn't throw an interception in a game, he had two against the Giants, uh, one against the, one against the Colts, two against the Texans, two against the Jaguars, one against the Eagles, two against the Titans, and one against the uh, Commanders at the end of the season. So there wasn't a single week after that dominant victory against the Vikings uh, back in mid November. So we're looking at what six seven weeks there essentially where he threw an interception, at least one interception in every single one of those games to end the season, and that's not. Great. Uh, If you're heading into the playoffs, you do not want that sort of volatility. Every single possession matters in the NFL playoffs. And lo and behold, he completely snaps out of it. He goes absolutely insane. 25 for 33. I think he didn't complete his first three passes, and then he ended up completing 25 of 33, 305 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, A fantastic game from Dak Prescott. He's surprised, I think, I'm willing to say, pretty much everybody. I don't know if any, I mean, there were the Cowboys fans that still had their hopes in him, still had the faith in him, obviously, but I don't know if anybody really expected uh, that game from Dak Prescott. That was probably, I I don't know if I can say, because I'm not looking at it right now, not, I don't want to say his best game of his career, uh, but certainly the best game of his playoff career. I think he was 0-2 in the playoffs. Uh, since he's been on, uh, a starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, so definitely his best game in his playoff career, and um, and the and the the, the, the Buccaneers just—I I, mean—I don't know what you, where you go from here, Todd Bowles. I don't want to say this is it for Todd Bowles, but you can't have the literal greatest quarterback of all time go eight and nine on the season and then just put out a stinker, an absolute stinker of a game in the playoffs in the first round of the playoffs against a team. They could have very easily beat. I mean, that like I said, that that Cowboys team was a turnover prone, a very turnover prone uh, during the regular season especially Dak Prescott, and that's something Todd Bowles should have been able to feast on, uh, but he couldn't. The, that team could not feast on that situation. They did not play good at all. The defense did not play good at all uh, for them, I mean, obviously, at all throughout that entire game, and uh, there were just things that were happening in that game, especially on defense with with Todd Bowles' as head coach that were just very, uh, very head-scratching. They were giving up a, a, a drop-back EPA of .682, which is the second-highest. Uh, of all the playoff teams right now, the only the only team that was worse on defense was the the Seahawks, which I mean, they were bad, too. Uh, but, you know, that that's not necessarily the Seahawks. We knew they had a bad defense all season long. The Buccaneers, at least defensive head coach, they looked like they were playing decent enough defense to at least turn it up a notch in the playoffs. They had the experience on their side and, and they just get picked apart uh, by Dak Prescott and um A little bit surprising. I mean, really, to be honest with you, I think that I mean, I'm being biased, um, but I think that win for the Cowboys was probably a little bit more more surprising, in my opinion, than the win that the Giants got over the Vikings. I think maybe just because how dominant Dallas was overall against uh, a Tom Brady led team. In the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think that's maybe a little bit more surprising than, you know, the Vikings, who uh, I've, I've said on this show before, but everybody, a lot of other analysts have said also, and all the other shows have said they were maybe getting a little lucky, uh, not a little, very lucky for a lot of their games. They were undefeated in one score games, and I think they had 12 one score games this season, something ridiculous like that, and they were 12 0 in all of those games. It was just bound to happen that one of those games was not going to go their way. And lo and behold, it was the playoff wild card weekend against the Giants that it didn't go their way. So, but that brings me to my prediction. There's a reason we're starting with the Buccaneers and the Cowboys game. And I'm getting to, um, I'm going to tell you my prediction. Okay. Tom Brady, 45, going on 46. He might be 46 now, 46 years old. Uh, The dude, I I don't want to say it's over because I said that six years ago and he went on to have a second Hall of Fame season just since then, essentially. Um, So I I don't want to say it's over. I didn't think... Watching it, there were times where I was like, This looks bad. Uh, There were definitely times where I was like, That, you know, this is a bad look for Tom Brady. This is not a great night. Uh, for Tom Brady, he had a very rough game, obviously, um, but he still, you know, there were times where he was hitting, hitting guys in, you know, just the exact spot where he needed to hit them. He almost had that seam right now, that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that fly route to Mike Evans, the very end of the game that would have got them another touchdown, a possible outside kick away from making it a, a two score game. Uh, and that was inches away from being caught for a touchdown uh, that he was still showing that all night. He's, you know, he still seems like he has somewhat of a pocket presence. It's not like he's losing that part of him at all, in my opinion. Uh, But, you know, again, he wasn't overall very good in the long run either. I mean, he had a 53 uh, pass grade from PFF at the end of the night. He did throw uh, 66 times of 68 dropbacks, 66 pass attempts. If you're 45, 46 years old, throwing the ball 66 times, that's wild. 351 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He had two big time throws but he had a three turnover worthy plays as well he got sacked twice uh 18, 18 pressures as well not not great uh not a great night i mean that that part of it's not necessarily on tom but uh, i mean overall just not necessarily a very a very good night for tom brady and an average up to the target of 7.1 yards also not very good and it kind of felt that way there were times where they were running these sc- uh, screens to chris godwin and and russell gage out of the backfield where i was like man is this is this how far Tom Brady has fallen? Can he not? Can he not sling it anymore? Because they were running those screens, those little swing passes out of the backfield a lot. I was like, "Wow, geez, they do not trust." It felt like they were not trusting Tom Brady's arm whatsoever. And um, there are a lot of people assuming, not I mean, or just guessing, they would say that this could be the end for Tom Brady. This might be the year he retires. I don't think so. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think so. That's not my prediction. My prediction is bigger than that. I think he's uh, he has given no indication that he plans on retiring. He has gone through uh, arguably the hardest thing a person in their personal life can go through in a divorce uh, with a loved one that they were uh, married to for, I, I don't remember, but a very long time, essentially. Um, that is an incredibly difficult thing to go through, and I cannot imagine trying to play with that as well. And I don't think Tom Brady is the type of guy to leave leave the door or, you know, leave his career on that note. That's never been, I I wouldn't, I would never expect that from Tom Brady. Tom Brady to me is the guy that's like, I could be 53 years old and I'm not leaving until I am winning the whole dang thing. That feels like the type of guy that Tom Brady is in an eight and nine season, arguably his, I mean, not individually, but his worst team, uh, team record he's had since, uh, since, since being in the league essentially as a starting QB, um, so I don't think he's retiring this year. I think he's going to be back at it this uh, this upcoming season. But with the Buccaneers, I don't think so. I think it's over for the Buccaneers. I think he's had his time with the Bucs. I think it's done. Um, and my prediction is my prediction is that Tom Brady is going to be the quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders next season. Here's why I'm thinking that. There were rumblings beforehand uh, in this past offseason that he had approached the Las Vegas Raiders with possibly becoming their, uh, their, their quarterback, Rob Gronkowski came out and said something of uh, something of that nature, where he was saying that essentially they were going both him and, and Tom Brady. I think it was Rob Gronkowski. if If I remember correctly, if it wasn't Rob Gronkowski, it was somebody speaking on behalf of Rob Gronkowski in like an interview or something where they were both essentially planning to team up in Las Vegas and play in Las Vegas. And I think Gronk to me is retired. I don't think Gronk coming back, but I think this is the year that Tom Brady does end up doing that. I think Tom Brady, they got rid of Derek Carr. Um, I I thought they maybe bailed on Derek Carr a little bit, maybe not early, but almost early enough to make you think that they had a plan and it not being Jared Stidham. Obviously I don't think they're going to write out Jared Stidham as the quarterback of the future, even though he didn't play terrible in the time that he had, but you know, you don't uh, Derek Carr wasn't bad enough for them to bail on him that late in the season and you know that quickly i guess it's usually more uh a little bit more drawn out than that is more often than not when you see those quarter quarterbacks like that kind of get benched over a season or something like that or a couple games here and there or they have really bad games their car didn't really have a, a truly abysmal game where they were like we have to bench this guy. We have to move on. I, I didn't see that necessarily. And so part of me thinks Las Vegas, they had a plan in place already. Uh, and I think that was, they're going to go all in to try to get Tom Brady. They're going to have Devonte Adams, which is probably if they get Tom Brady time, that would be Tom Brady's best receiver he'd ever, he's ever had I'm trying to think. I mean, other than Gronk, but I mean, oh, I'm splitting tight ends and wide receivers here. Um, other than, other than Gronk probably the best receiver he's ever had on that side I'm trying to think i i mean you could put Wes Walker in that conversation i guess uh the season with Randy Moss would definitely be in that conversation with DeVonte Adams i think uh, randy moss was a very much a straight line speed guy and he just beat everybody down the field Devontae adams i think is a little bit more refined in what everything and everything that he does and then, you know, the Wes Welker years after that, then you had, you know, Dion Branch, I guess you could throw in there. But that was kind of a a couple of years where he was very good. But I mean, all of those guys, I think Devontae Adams is, is better than all of those guys. Julian Edelman as well. Um, the only one that I think you could kind of match up with would be Moss or any Moss and then obviously Gronk. But he's a tight end, so not really the same skill set entirely. Um, and I but I, I think Devontae Adams would be the better the better the better wide receiver out of all those guys Uh, and I think that's a very appealing situation granted uh, you would be walking into a situation if you're Tom Brady where the offensive line is probably worse than the one you just left in Tampa Bay Uh, so if that's something he would want to worry about obviously I'm sure at his age he is not looking for a place where he's going to get knocked around a whole lot Um, but I mean, he was looking to go to Las Vegas. He had planned it essentially, according to Rob Gronkowski, that he was going to go to Vegas. Uh, I think from Rob Gronkowski, something like that, the whole deal was set up and then it just kind of fell apart towards the end. I think I think it's going to happen this time. I think they're. I think that the plan has been laid. I think Vegas would not have gotten rid of Derek Carr. All I think I, I don't think they would have gotten Derek Carr as quickly as they did if they didn't have a plan in place to have a way to replace him. And I think Tom Brady is that guy could be wrong. I probably I might be wrong. I don't have great odds on my favor. I, I mean, there were a lot of reports that Tom Brady was going to end up, which a story that was not covered at, very much at all. Uh, he was essentially planning on taking part in ownership with the Miami Dolphins this past offseason, which is why he retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then that all fell apart and he ended up staying with the buccaneers he was he, his entire instagram you know saying goodbye thing after he retired was directly pointed at the buccaneers because he was just leaving the buccaneers to go be a part of the ownership group with the miami dolphins and essentially play a part-time owner part-time quarterback with the miami dolphins something that was not covered very well at all when that did happen one of the truly more insane stories that came out of the offseason from 2022 was that story and we did not talk about that enough because he essentially said uh I'm leaving. I'm retiring. I'm going to retire to get out of this contract so I can go be a part owner of the Miami Dolphins and play quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Something that is not talked about enough. And then the owner got into a uh, legal dispute with Brian Flores. And that's why Brian Flores left in the first place, the former head coach for the Miami Dolphins, because uh, they were looking to pick up Tom Brady in that situation. They didn't get Tom Brady in the situation. So they had to be, he was stuck with Tua tunga And Brian Flores was essentially told that he was going to be getting Tom Brady. Didn't happen. So he got angry. And then uh, there's one of the crazier stories. I'm doing a very bad job of paraphrasing it, but please look it up. It's truly Truly insane. And I think we could have a similar situation, probably not ownership for the Vegas Raiders. Maybe if Mark Davis wants to do that, I mean, he is, he's is he got one of the worst haircuts. So I don't know what that is or anything, but every time I think of Mark Davis, I think of the worst damn bull cut I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, if he wants to give part ownership to Tom Brady to bring him over, I mean, who's saying no in that situation? Granted, you know, he hasn't looked great the past few, uh, just this past year. he. I mean, he was, you know, in terms of Tom Brady standards, he wasn't necessarily great, um, but I think he's probably an upgrade over Derek Carr still. And with a wide receiver like, uh, with a wide receiver like Devontae Adams, I think you could make a lot of things happen uh, with Tom Brady in that situation. Plus their defense, uh, not better than the bucks, but definitely up and coming defense. Max Crosby, one of the best defensive ends in the entire game right now, he would be wreaking havoc on the defensive side of the ball. And if that offense can score points, then the Raiders become a very dangerous team. Granted, they are in the same division as the chiefs. And I have no idea what to expect. uh, what, What I would expect out of, out of those two games every year. But can you imagine if we got Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, Somehow, Tom Brady's still doing it, still doing the dang thing at 47 years old once he gets there, uh, still doing the dang thing against Patrick Mahomes twice a year. That would be incredible. That would be incredible. Must watch TV. So that's my prediction. I think Tom Brady, not retiring, even though he's kind of, everybody was kind of angling it that way, I, he's not given any sort of indication that. He is looking to retire after the season. Uh, I just think that was the last time we saw him in a Bucks uniform. And I think we're going to see him in a Las Vegas Raiders uniform next season. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the prediction. So if it comes wrong, I, if it becomes correct, I'm going to shower myself in champagne, even though I'm not going to be necessarily happy about it. I'm not a Raiders fan. I just want to say I got something right. And that's going to feel good. That's going to feel good for me. But it could be very wrong. I could be completely, completely wrong about this. And. You know, then whatever. Then he retires or goes somewhere else, or you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I think that would be cool if he went to the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, you know, just just bounced everywhere. It just he just started bouncing all over the place. Uh, I think it'd be it'd be fun to see him in a different uniform uh, with a better offense for sure. Uh, in uh, plus oh, plus, I oh my god, I just remember this: his offensive play caller that he was with with the Patriots is the head coach of the Raiders now. He's going to the Raiders, ladies and gentlemen. He is going to... I just thought of that. I completely forgot about that. If Josh McDaniels is still there, maybe that's why they got Josh McDaniels. Wow. Everything is coming... Wow. I just... Everything is now blowing into my head just in this moment. They went and got Josh McDaniel to try to lure Tom Brady over. Hey, your play caller that helped you win a couple championships is over here that made you look fantastic. I mean, not made you look fantastic, but helped you look uh, as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. We got him as our head coach now. Wouldn't you want to play under him? Raiders are going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm definitely putting it down, putting money down on it right now. Las Vegas Raiders. They are getting Tom Brady. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it with my chest. Tom Brady going to Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Wildcard weekend. What a fun uh, what a fun weekend it was for me, especially a huge Vikings fan. I'm so happy I got to see them win. I'm just kidding. Who, who are we? I mean, come on. What are we talking about? The anniversary of arguably the greatest weekend in Vikings history, uh, five years ago, which that was already five years ago, 2017, the Minneapolis Miracle, one of my favorite moments. I remember where I was when that happened. I was not watching it, unfortunately. I was at work when that happened. I got a notification on my phone. I was like, this can't be right. This game was over. And then I watched the highlights. I saw Twitter exploding. I was like, this is the greatest day of my life. And I really kind of did have that reaction. That's not a joke. And on the anniversary of that, of that incredible game, they're back at home, 2022 now. Basically a completely different team. Now, we got one of the fraudiest losses I've seen the Vikings have. Uh, they come out, they get dominated by Daniel Jones, who has essentially the game of his life. Uh, he looked like Mike Vick out there at times. He led the team. He led, he led the Giants in rushing, ladies and gentlemen. That is correct. He led the New York Giants, the New York football Giants, in rushing in that game. And uh, he was very good. At uh, at passing the ball as well, he had an, a stellar game, and it was very annoying to watch because I was like, "This is this is uh, this is Daniel Jones we're talking about here. This is not uh, a world beater." But guess what? I was wrong. He is a world beater. I guess uh, he'll go twenty four for thirty five uh, with two touchdowns, three hundred one yards, uh, an average depth of target of five point eight, which is so bad. Which just makes me that makes my skin crawl. How bad that is. I believe I read somewhere that he had three total passes. Like it, through the air, three total passes over ten yards. Three total passes over ten yards. Zero turnover-worthy plays, though. He had the one big-time throw, uh, and it ended up in three hundred and one yards and two touchdowns, twenty-four of thirty-five. And uh, that's just that's so unacceptable. If you're the Vikings, that is it just it made my head hurt watching that game. They were getting he ran seventy-eight yards as well on eleven attempts, four point six yards per attempt. Uh, it was just, I mean, that was, uh, look, I talked about it. I've talked about it all year, all season long. I talked about the Vikings, how I was holding off hope. Granted, they were 13 to four. They were a fun team to watch at times. The one score games are always fun to watch just because, uh, you get your, get your blood going. You know what I mean? Uh, but come playoff time, it's just such a bad formula to try to win football games in. And it showed again, uh, Daniel Jones was able to basically hit anything he wanted over the middle of the field. Uh, there was no. I mean, the, they were playing, the Minnesota Vikings cornerbacks were playing uh, basically seven yards off of every receiver. Just Daniel Jones was able to just dip and dunk his way to a phenomenal game, arguably the best game of his career, and then when he didn't dip and dunk it, uh, he was running the ball, and it was just, he was gashing. He looked like a little, he looked more like Josh Allen this weekend than Josh Allen looked like Josh Allen, if that makes sense. It was so frustrating. We made Daniel Jones the Vikings made Daniel Jones look like Josh Allen in the wildcard weekend loss. And uh, that's Vikings, man. That's uh, that. That's kind of how the season has gone. They've been living by living by their thread all season long. And all it took was a team that was more motivated, uh, had a better offensive game plan and a better defensive game plan for sure uh, to come in and beat them at their own home. And that's just a a sour end to a, a rather fun season. If you're the Vikings, but I don't think there were a lot of people that didn't, I mean, you would have hoped at the very least you could have beaten the giants to move on to the divisional. But honestly, as I, as I was watching this game, as the, it was, you know, a tie game with the New York giants, I was like, I would rather lose this game than go on and play the Niners and just get obliterated, uh, ab- obliterated by the Niners. Cause the Niners do everything on offense that the Vikings cannot stop. And, uh, the de- the, uh, the defense in, in, uh, San Francisco is obviously uh, a lot better than to be beaten by one guy, essentially in Justin Jefferson. So, you know, I, I'd rather have lost that game by one score than go and be, get beat by, like, 24 to the Niners next week. So, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I was talking about it. I was kind of already prepping myself for a loss this weekend with the Vikings, and here we are. The loss did happen, and uh, I'm sad about it. But whatever. The Giants, honestly, it makes for a better matchup, to be honest with you. The Vikings play, taking on the 49ers, that wouldn't have been a fun matchup. But the the Giants taking on the Eagles somewhat more of a fun matchup. The Giants can kind of hinder on if, I mean, if Daniel Jones can play like that, if he can run like that against the, against the, uh, the Niners, it opens up a whole load of more possibilities for the Giants to go and attack. Um, The, if the Eagles had one, if the Eagles had one problem all season, even though they were, arguably the best team in the entire league. Um, If they had one hindrance on their team, it was their rush defense and they've gotten one of the best running backs in the game. Uh, And if Daniel Jones can run like that out of the backfield as the quarterback, then that only creates another problem for the Eagles. And if the giants can get to a point where they're essentially controlling time of possession and they get Jalen Hurst to essentially be playing only a, a game of, of throwing the ball, um, even though he's proved to be a very solid thrower of the football as well. But you know, he's a lot more comfortable being able to, run and not just sit back in the pocket and throw the ball all day. I think the giants could uh, take advantage of the Eagles in that situation, but that's kind of a long shot. I think uh, the, the giants would have to have a lot go right for them in that situation hurts turning the ball over or something like that. And the giants are capitalizing on those turnovers for them to be able to get time of possession on their side and essentially run as much as they want. Similar to how the commanders beat uh, the Eagles that uh, when they beat them in that undefeated when they were undefeated uh, earlier in the season. So um, a, a better matchup, in my opinion, than what we would have gotten if the Vikings had won, yeah, I think, personally. Yeah, I think the Giants match up with the Eagles relatively well um, on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, it's kind of a crapshoot, to be honest with you. They played uh, pretty pretty well against the Vikings, to be honest with you. They held, uh, they held Justin Jefferson, I think, in the second half to one target in the entire second half, if I remember correctly, which is, I mean, I don't know if that's more the Giants defense or more of the play calling on the Vikings' side, honestly couldn't tell you, but if that's, you know, the Giants defense speaking, then you got a possibility. I mean, the Giants, they could do it. If there's any team that could come out of the wild card and win, string a couple wings, wins in a row, it's the New York Giants because God knows they've done it before and they've done it against worse odds, higher odds, or I guess worse odds uh, than, than the ones they're running up to running up against this weekend. So we'll see what happens there. That's that. Lost for the Vikings. Season's over. Um, now we're getting ready for draft season. If you're the Vikings, you know, we're we're going through our own mock drafts. Uh, all right, let's move on. 49ers, that was the other team we were going to talk about really quickly. Um, blew out the Seahawks more in the second half, honestly, than anything else. Uh, they had a 1.46 EPA per play in the second half, which is absurd. That is an incredibly high EPA versus a 0.323 in the first half EPA per play. Brock Purdy's still out here, just uh, proving everybody wrong. I don't know if it's more, and a lot of people were having this argument when it came to Tua and Mike McDaniel earlier in the season um, for the the Dolphins, but I, I don't know whether to... Solely put this on Brock Purdy. I mean, he didn't have the best game of all time I've ever seen. A pretty solid game, though. Uh, 18 for 30. They didn't ask him to do a whole lot, and he didn't really need to do a whole lot, especially in the second half. Uh, But he had 332 yards, three tutties, uh, you know, a 12.5 average depth of target, one big-time throw, zero turnover worthy plays. He only got sacked once. Um, So, I mean, a very good, very good game from Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49er offense. But, granted, the... The Seahawks terrible on defense. They they were god awful on defense this weekend. Uh, they were giving up point uh, three eight six EPA per play, which is the bottoms the bottoms on defense in the playoffs so far, and a point seven one seven EPA on dropbacks and a point zero four four uh, EPA on rushes, which is a little bit better, but still still uh, not good in terms of the grand scheme of things. Uh, They were giving up a little bit. uh, uh, It's a little bit better of an EPA than the Chargers were giving up on offense in the, in the run game. So, uh, you know, I don't know how much you can take away from this game. If you're San Francisco, I think maybe the, only thing, I mean, other than the offense seems to just be clicking, no matter who you throw into that situation, Kyle Shanahan seems like he just, I mean, that that trade for Christian McCaffrey, easily the best trade of the season, I think, to this point. Ever since then, I, they haven't lost a single game. It just adds an even more insane weapon that they have on their side. Debo Samuel does not have as much that he has to carry around, and Christian McCaffrey is arguably uh, the best running back in the, in the sport right now. So that was an incredible trade. For the 49ers, especially if they go on to win the whole thing, then they'll look back on that and see look at that as the as the the changing point of the season uh, when they traded for Christian McCaffrey and then Brock Purdy coming in after Jimmy and Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt and just playing his playing is playing as lights out as anybody right now uh, that I could think of. I mean, they played fantastic. You look at the, the third string quarterback for the Dolphins, Skyler Thompson, who wasn't you know, he wasn't terrible, but he definitely had those boneheaded decisions that ended up being turnovers. And Brock Purdy just hasn't had that. I mean, he's just not making those super boneheaded plays. Um, it seems like Kyle Shanahan really, for whatever reason, just has an idea of what he a simple game plan that Brock Purdy can execute every single game and does not really leave a whole lot up to chance in terms of turning the ball over that I can see during the game. And it was just a I mean Kyle Shanahan in my opinion should win Coach of the year for the job he's done. I mean, he lost his starting quarterback at the very beginning of the year in Trey Lance, which turned out to be, uh, you know, ended up being okay because they had Jimmy G there. They were we were all talking about how they should probably trade Jimmy G. And they thankfully they didn't. It kept Jimmy G there, and he was able to ride it out for a long time. Jimmy G gets hurt, and it didn't matter because they go on and they they stay undefeated for the rest of the season. They make one of the best trades, keep Christian McCaffrey, and the offense is clicking on essentially all cylinders. And uh, the defense has looked as good of any as good as any defense in the NFL that I can remember. I mean, they're very good on defense. Uh, there's hard to find really a negative a negative part on their uh, on their defensive side of the ball. I mean, Nick Bosa is going to win the win the Defensive Player of the Year. So. You know, what are you going to do about San Francisco? They're probably, in my opinion, as of right now, the most well-rounded, complete team in the NFL, uh, the NFC, NFC, probably the NFL as well, if not for the the Chiefs or the Bills, obviously. Um, but, you know, the the Eagles would be in that conversation. But, you know, they're just got Jalen Hurts back. He was hurt the last few weeks and they were struggling a little bit on the defensive side of the ball during that time as well. So, you know, the, San Francisco just looked like they haven't had any issues, uh, they're chugging along for the most part. They were a little sloppy in the first half, a little quiet, you know, kind of felt like they were just walking through the first half of you getting their getting their wheels under them, if you will. Um, but then second half, they just exploded and dominated the Seahawks. So and that win turns into an uh, in a more interesting matchup than I thought it would have been. Um, this upcoming week and then the divisional round where they take on Dallas. If Dallas plays like they did against Tampa Bay, then this game is going to be very close because I mean, they were clicking on all cylinders. They they were scheming out of their mind. Kellen Moore called a incredible game against, uh, against Tampa Bay on offense. And then on defense as well, they came out and just dominated the line of scrimmage. Tom Brady had nothing, had essentially nowhere to go. Uh, The middle of the field was defended very well for, by the, uh, by the Dallas Cowboys as well. And, uh, And if they come out and play like that, then they can beat anybody, but San Francisco as well. I mean, the only thing, the only thing that I think Dallas really has, um, that they can really utilize in my opinion against San Francisco is their pass rush. Their pass rush can be very good. Michael Parsons is an absolute, Monster. It doesn't matter who he's going up against, and if you get to the point where uh, you know, Brock Purdy has the benefit of as well of being behind arguably probably the best offensive line in football, and if you get to the point where Brock Purdy is getting the yips, you know, getting scared of uh, the pressure that's coming in, not scared, but you know. Worried about the pressure coming from Micah Parsons or Dorrance Armstrong on the other side. I mean, if he gets into that situation, Brock Purdy could become you know nervous, not as protective of the football, and then you're getting turnovers, and then it's really anybody's game. And we know Dallas Cowboys are very good at forcing those turnovers. They got a very solid back end at turn in terms of turning the ball over. So if they can get into that situation, then Dallas can go on to win this game. It also depends on if Dak Prescott has another game like last game, and not the games that we had seen you know, the previous eight weeks where he was turning the ball over basically in every single game. So uh, there, there's a possibility there for Dallas, um, but it's, it's slim. They again, same thing with the giants. They have to have a lot of things go their way. they have to worry about more so than the giants. In my opinion, I think the Dallas Cowboys have to worry about a lot more on the defensive side of the ball. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. I mean, there's just so many weapons that that offense has that they can, that Kyle Shanahan can scheme. And uh, it's just a lot harder for um, that defense to kind of zone in on. It, it was easier for them to do that against the Bucs because their run game was terrible all season long. They basically were daring Tom Brady to try to beat them through the air all game long, and it ended up working out for them. They were forcing turnovers. He, uh, Tom Brady, was getting hit, and uh, you can't really do that necessarily against the against the 49ers because Christian, Christian McCaffrey, or if they scheme up Debo Samuel out of the backfield, then they'll just carve you up uh, and beat you in the run game. And Kyle Shanahan, known for his running game prowess as well, so uh, you kind of have to flip the script essentially, where you're daring the, the the 49ers to essentially pass the ball and even in that in that situation, then you got guys like Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle as well one of the better tight ends in the game in terms of uh, just overall, one of the better tight ends in the game. So uh, a, d- a much tougher matchup in terms of scheme for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but if they can get some pressure on Brock Purdy, if Brock Purdy, you know, because of that pressure starts making mistakes, then 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 the Cowboys can, Cowboys can definitely capitalize on those, especially if we get the DAC that we saw this past weekend on Monday. Uh, I guess not this past weekend, but on Monday. Um, so we'll see. A good game, though, Uh, a storied, storied game for sure. Dallas versus uh, 49ers, two of the most storied franchises, the one uh, classic rivalry in the game in the NFL. Um, And uh, we'll see what happens. I think 49ers, they'll probably have uh, probably have the edge in that game overall, in my opinion. Um, Okay, let's move on. That was those games, the Jags. Oh, boy, this was. Wow. Uh, wowzers, 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 uh, the chargers and the Jags. Um, I, where do you start with this one? Uh, I can't remember a bigger tale of the, a tale of two halves in, in, in my lifetime, to be honest with you. Um, Trevor Lawrence looked lost L O S T in that first half he was dreadful he was as he was just terrible in that first half uh, i thought i thought at halftime i was like okay this is over uh chargers essentially have to i mean they are up 27 to nothing all they have to do is maybe put one and put one more score on the board to essentially put it away and then uh make some good uh possession management or uh time of possession management situations and uh they can walk out with the victory in that game but uh that was not what happened uh they made Uh, In my opinion, bad, bad call after bad call the Chargers did. Uh, They did not hand the ball off very often to Austin Eckler, who is who is, uh, in my opinion, one of the better backs in football. Maybe not necessarily one of the better rushers, but one of the most versatile backs in football. Uh, But he only gets 14 or excuse me, 13. 13 attempts on the ground in the night. He gets, he gets two touchdowns, but, and again, we're leading 27 and nothing for your lead running back to only have 13 attempts on the entire night. Uh, that is not a good recipe. That's why you learn to run the football kiddos. So you can close teams out in the second half. They were coming out, still throwing the ball in the second half, which was, uh, I mean, it, it, it's fine if it works, the chiefs do it and it works just fine. But if it doesn't work, you're just giving the Jacks more time of possession to be able to come back on and uh, the ball more often for the Jacks to be able to come back on as well. And it's just, if you're the chargers in this, I feel one, I feel very bad for chargers fans because this was, I mean, this is the most chargers way to lose that game. Um, but you know, if you're Trevor Lawrence, like I said, tail of two has four, four interceptions in the first half. And then four touchdowns in the second half, he comes out with a, let me see his grade on PFF comes, ends up with a 66.3 passing grade, which is, you know, fine in in the grand scheme of things but 288 yards four touchdowns four interceptions 28 of 47 uh he had an average depth of target of 8.2 four big time throws only one turnover worthy play and it did kind of feel like that there were a couple plays where it looked like either the wide receivers were not on the same page or wide receivers were more or less playing for the pass interference or something like that and asante samuel really took advantage of that asante samuel jr really took advantage of that with three of those interceptions and uh i mean asante samuel just played out of his mind for the most part i mean he played very good those three interceptions were i mean very well played and well picked off balls um so it's just here's the thing for jacksonville a fantastic win uh, uh probably uh, one of their biggest wins in franchise history I, I would imagine um one of the more one of the most memorable wins in franchise history one thing i want to note though um and it's not about the jaguars or the chargers uh, about the game in general, Al Michaels, man, if you were watching this game, man, uh, he somebody gave him some melatonin or something while at halftime because that dude was half asleep when that game was coming down to it. One of the most uh, improbable comebacks we've ever seen. And boy, oh, boy, he was putting me to sleep. I thought I was going to be taking a nap when that field goal, when that game winning field goal went through. That dude was uh, that dude was passed out. He did not care. I don't think he knew what time was on the clock or something. I don't know if he thought it was in the third quarter because the way he reacted to that field goal, if you haven't listened to it, just go listen to it because it seems like he's just calling a field goal for the third quarter uh, at the end of the third quarter and we're going to move on to the fourth quarter like it was no big deal. That's what it felt like when he was calling. I was so disappointed because Al Michaels, one of the greatest of all time when it comes to calling games and it just feels like he is... I don't want to say he's lost all motivation or passion or anything like that, but just the way he sounds, it sounded like he did not want to be there at all. And that was very disappointing, especially for a playoff game. NBC brings you back after, after you go to prime uh, to call the Thursday night games, which were pre- pretty much all of them were terrible. Uh, that NBC comes you back, brings you back, wants you to do the Sunday night football game. That ends up being the playoff game, probably the game of the day uh, or the game of the whole weekend, really. And that's, I mean, that's the performance you give Al? Come on. Come on, Al Michaels! Come on, you're one of the greats of all time. Can't be doing that. It was very disappointing. It was very disappointing to hear to hear uh, how bad Al, My- Al Michaels was. I just because I love Al Michaels. I, he's one of the great. He's, he is a cornerstone in sports in sports broadcasting. And basically, a lot of very popular moments in the history of american sports you can hear from al michael's do you believe in miracles yes that's al michael's of course that's a you know a cornerstone for not just sports broadcasting but essentially american hockey that that you if you ask a hockey fan where that phrase comes from, they should be able to tell you. And that's because Al Michael said it just came out of nowhere and it, he said it. And now it's kind of attached to that upset over the USSR forever. And uh, they made a movie about that upset. And that call is still in the movie because it was so identifiable. And uh, to hear what, you know, the, the performance he gave on Sunday Night Football was very disappointing. I was I was very upset. Um, but uh, anyways, back to the game uh, for the Jaguars. A great game. Uh, a great comeback. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how sustainable this is. You are playing the the Chargers who uh, they're, uh, It was just a brain fart after brain fart. I don't know what you do. Uh, Brandon Staley, it seems like it's still going to be there. They just fired uh, their uh, their offensive coordinator in Joe Lenardi, fired him, which I, in my opinion, was probably the right call. If you're not getting I mean, you have Justin Herbert on a rookie deal. Justin Herbert on a rookie deal. And this is what you're getting out of the playoffs. You got to do better than that uh, on a rookie deal. You cannot be having you got to and especially in the NFL, you have to capitalize on the rookie deals as much as you can for your, for that position with how important that position is and how much you end up paying for that position for it to be as cheap as a rookie deal. You have to be going out and grabbing whoever you can and scheming with the absolute best offensive coordinator that you could five to uh, find to try to get the most out of your money, because by the end of it, Justin Herbert's going to make a ton of money uh come come payday for him because he is one of the most valuable assets in the sport right now a young quarterback who looks every bit as every bit as uh as promising as as anybody else in the game you know joe burrow is up there just him and joe burrow essentially neck and neck for as promising as any but i mean obviously you give the edge to joe burrow there who is also a similar situation with the Bengals, where they're basically running uh the, the rookie deal out there with joe burrow and building everything that they need around him because they don't have to pay joe burrow yet which they will uh, but they don't have to pay joe burrow an absurd amount of money just yet so they're trying to build everything around him and obviously it's worked out for them so far they're well on their way to um uh not well on their way but possibly on their way to another super bowl appearance and that's only because uh, they've one drafted very well and two been able to sign guys uh that are have been very effective on both sides of the ball because of the rookie deal that they have joe burrow on and then once they sign joe burrow to that extensive lucrative contract they're inevitably going to sign him to um then we'll see how good they end up being after that, because that's when it really becomes more interesting. And the same thing goes for the chargers. If they're not winning with the the rookie deal that they have on Justin Herbert, uh, then uh, there's no reason to believe that they'll win when they end up signing him to a incredibly lucrative extension. Uh, once the rookie deal is up. So they have to figure it out and they have to figure it out very, very, very quickly. Um, if they want to capitalize on the, uh, on the window that they have right now, which is the most opportune window right now. And for the Jaguars, Uh, I mean, I I don't know what to take out of this team. One, Doug Peterson, an absolute mass or full performance in the second half a completely different team in the second half they came out and just picked apart the chargers defense the chargers on defense were were really just uh, i mean they were dominating that first half in terms of uh in terms of just play calling on both sides of the ball but especially on defense um capitalizing on the mistakes that the jaguars were making but then in the uh in the second half the, the chargers could not stop anything in the second half with the, anything that the uh that the uh that the Jaguars were doing, they ended up with a 0.534 EPA per play in the second half for the chargers. That's the worst EPA per play in the second half of all the other teams in the second half, this uh, in the wildcard round. And they were giving up a uh, 0.633 drop back uh, EPA per play in the second half as well. So something changed. Uh, Doug Peterson changed something in the second half. He got with the offensive coordinator. He was like, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And they ended up changing it and it worked out. Pretty well, I'd say. Comeback like that, I think think that worked pretty well. And uh, so, yeah, Jaguars move on. They get to play. Now, granted, they move on to a very bad, bad, uh, bad matchup, in my opinion, with the Kansas City Chiefs. You cannot, if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars, great comeback victory, an incredible win, no doubt. Nonetheless, you cannot be making those mistakes against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're throwing four interceptions against the Kansas City Chiefs in the first half, you're losing by 35 at halftime instead of 27, and then Kansas City is going to score an extra 14, 20, 21 to put the game away, and then they're just going to they're going to throw, run Patrick Mahomes to the bench and not make him be out there anymore because that is the way that Kansas City plays. If they can get you to turn the ball over, they will pick you apart. The only thing that Jacksonville can do. In that situation is hope that they can pick off Patrick Mahomes, which is a lot easier said than done. Uh, But, you know, if that's the volatility that Jacksonville is going to come into this game with, then Kansas City City should roll in this game. I don't think it will be. Uh, That was a very – I was very stunned at how bad Jacksonville played in that first half, Uh, especially Trevor Lawrence, who who had not really – I mean, he played uh, very well the last – quarter almost half of the season um and and i did not i was very stunned to see what uh, what, how bad they played in the first half especially him um but if they do if driver lawrence is and the wide receivers are not on that same page come kansas city again in arrowhead as well which is not a, a not an easy place to go in and try to get the same page on um then they are going to have some major issues <laughs> uh, come that game. So we'll see what happens there, but that's that's a bad matchup. If they end up turning the ball over like that, they're going to have a very long day in Kansas City. Um, as for the Chiefs, I mean, this is, this is honestly probably the better matchup, to be honest with you, uh, that they would have wanted. They wanted probably Jacksonville more than they would have liked to play the chargers. The chargers play Kansas city very well. uh, And you know, AFC divisional rival as well, but they also kind of match up with them. Well, Mike Williams is a guy that gives them problems on the outside. He wasn't playing obviously, but Keenan Allen also gives them problems on the outside. And Justin Herbert just for whatever reason, can kind of find a way to not necessarily pick apart Kansas city, but at least stay, stay alongside Kansas city on the offensive side. Jacksonville, Uh, They don't, in my opinion, have the wide receiver uh, duo that you would need to really be good against Kansas City. They don't have a dominant wide receiver, a guy like Jamar Chase, a guy like Stephon Diggs, so on and so forth. A guy like, you know, Gronk when Tampa Bay beat them or Mike Evans or what have you. Uh, They don't really have that guy. Um, So you know I, I don't unless Zay Jones or Marvin Jones or somebody like that really really steps up they don't really have that guy that can uh, beat them over the top on the offensive side of the ball Zay Jones though I mean Zay Jones has played very good over the last the last few weeks of the season as well so uh, if he steps up as well then, it, then it's anybody's ball game but I think Kansas City definitely has the weapons and uh, if Jacksonville is going to come out as volatile as they did uh, Kansas City is not the team that really gives up those kinds of points uh, without scoring on in the second half I mean that's Just that's never been an Andy Reid team. That's never been the Kansas city chiefs. So uh, I think this one definitely, this was probably the most favorable of all the matchups uh, come divisional weekend. Um, So that that's, that's that game uh, in that divisional round game. So we're going to move on. Let's talk about bills. They scraped past the dolphins. Um, Great game by Josh Allen. Uh, They were a little shaky, especially at the start. I was a little surprised at how, uh, also, not necessarily bad, but they got out to a, a decent lead in the first first in the first half, and then kind of blew it, gave it away back to the Dolphins on a third string quarterback. And I was like, "This is a bad look. This is a bad look for the Buffalo Bills." But they kind of fixed it. They got it back together. They were able to hit more on the deep shots uh, that they were looking for. And man, oh man, Miami. Uh, the I I don't know what is going through the defensive coordinator for the Miami dolphins is head in those situations. I guess granted they have the, uh, the, the, the cornerbacks on the outside to try to defend against Stefan Diggs, um, But obviously they didn't, but they were playing so much cover zero. They were blitzing a ton against Josh Allen. Uh, I was surprised they were doing that. I thought after a while they'd stop because Josh Allen ended up, just, seemed like he was just picking them apart for the most part, picking the dolphins apart. Um, and you know, then that's essentially what happened. They were playing a ton of cover, cover zero, and uh, Josh Allen would just end up picking people, picking that team apart. He the the Dolphins have Xavier Howard, um, which is one of the better cornerbacks in the league. they, they thought I, I'm assuming they thought that he could have stuck. He could have stuck with Stephon Diggs, and for the most part, he did relatively good. But you know, you can't just keep doing it, in my opinion, against a guy like Josh Allen. There's just he's he's gonna pick them apart, and that's what he did. Um, so. On the defensive side of the ball for the Bills, there are some concerns. Obviously, a guy like Skylar Thompson was able to stick with the Bills, um, which that's you know that could have just been them sleepwalking, whatever you want to chalk it up to. Um, But I mean, if Skylar Thompson's picking people apart, then you know that's that's not necessarily a great a great uh, a great value for success if you're the Bills going into. The next few weeks, especially with their matchup against the Bengals coming up this weekend, uh, you know, who even the Bengals, they did not have a fantastic uh, they did not have a fantastic, fantastic wildcard weekend in terms of uh, how good they played a very conservative game plan against the Ravens uh, and it almost cost them. It took a a 96 yard fumble recovery for a touchdown and ended up being essentially a 14 point swing uh, for the Bengals to to win that game. And I was stunned at the play calling in that situation if john har if i'm john harbaugh i'm i'm handing that ball off to jk dobbins three times i'm not trying to leap over with uh with caleb caleb huntley i just think that's the that was the the wrong idea and that that seemed like it was more caleb huntley than anything um but still i was like wow uh what what are we doing here um and it ended up logan wilson wyoming wyoming legend uh ended up Ended up uh, knocking the ball out of the, uh, the running back, or I guess uh, Caleb Huntley's hand in that situation. And Sam Hubbard takes it back. The most surprising thing from that entire situation, to be honest with you, it wasn't the fumble recovery. It wasn't the touchdown. It wasn't the the batting the ball out of Caleb Huntley's hands or anything like that. It wasn't any of that. Mark Andrews. Dude's got some wheels. He almost caught Sam Hubbard. That guy's a tight end. He ran almost the length of the field to catch Sam Hubbard. If he wouldn't have tripped, or if he wouldn't have gotten blocked and fallen over, he would have caught Sam Hubbard and it wouldn't have been uh it wouldn't have been a touchdown, which I mean that would have been a huge play in itself as well. So, you know, that was I was stunned by how fast Mark Andrews was hustling there. He was, he was, he was moving. I mean, he was going faster than like J.K. Dobbins. Uh yeah. I was I was impressed by by that more than anything. Um, but for the most part, I think in that game, uh the Ravens, I mean, they just didn't, they're not a very good offensive team right now, obviously, with Caleb Huntley. Uh, there were a lot of people saying, you know, I the the discourse between Lamar Jackson, just telling them to go out here, oh, put a brace on it, go out there and play. Uh, so, so dumb. This guy, we're talking about a guy who is literally leveraging his future versus, I mean, you know, if he's injured, He's injured. Uh, Lamar Jack. I don't have any doubt in my mind that Lamar Jackson knows what's best for him in that scenario. And uh, if he is injured, he is not, there is no reason to go out there and play that game because of what you are risking in the long run in that situation. Everybody remembers RG three, just put the brace on it, ended up tearing his ACL and his PCL. His career was essentially over after that. And uh, it ruined the, not, not just, I, I mean, a lot of, what I'm sure mentally affected him for a very long time. But then also, I mean, we're talking about one of the more promising rookie quarterbacks in, in recent memory in RG three. And that was the end of his career. Essentially. He never really bounced back from that entirely. And it ended a ended a promising young career. Mar Jackson, who, Granted, he's been with RG3. RG3 has been a backup quarterback to Lamar Jackson in the past few years after or before uh, RG3 retired, and I'm sure they had this conversation, the conversation about what he would have done differently or something like that in an injury situation. I am sure they had that conversation. And, uh, yeah, I'm all for Lamar Jackson sitting that game out. If he is not able to play the game, if he feels like he's not able, then I'm going to listen to him all the way through. No matter what happens in that game, even if the Ravens lose that game, look, he knows that his body more than anybody else. And I do I am not going to 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 go against the competitive toughness of one Lamar Jackson. I am not going to say he should have played that game. He should have just put a brace on it. If he could, if he felt like he could have put a, put a put a brace on it and still would have been fine playing that game safely, then he would have gone out there and played with a brace on it. I promise you that. But he probably just did not feel comfortable playing in that game. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Okay. Nothing wrong with it. I had no problem with Lamar Jackson not playing in the game. His team's out of the playoffs, sure, but he didn't get injured again. He's not ruining his chances for coming back next season or anything like that. He should be fully fresh and ready for next season. Um, so uh, that that part is just, yeah, I, I hated that discourse that was going around. It's just so frustrating. Uh, I can't believe we still having we're still having these arguments for guys that are literally the very best in the entire world at what they do literally the very best, the top 00.001%, and we're talking about their competitive toughness. The entire reason they're there at that point is because of their competitive toughness. They would not be in the NFL if it weren't for their competitive toughness, okay? They would not be playing in the most, the harshest sport in the world, for the most part, in the Americas for sure, in terms of physical, uh, physical capability and physical, uh, physical deterrence in the world if they weren't competitively tough. Okay. So let's stop with that. Okay. Let's just stop with a Lamar Jackson and everybody else that's injured. You're not toughening it out. Whatever. I we're, we're learning more and more that it's just not smart to just go out there and tough it out. Okay. More. We're learning that more often than not, especially in the, this season of all, we've had too many, way too many super scary injuries. Uh, That should not be the answer to anything. If, if you know, going out and toughing it out, should not be the answer. If you feel like you can't be out there and play, uh play to the, the maximum of your effectiveness or, uh and when you're hundred percent healthy, or if you're not even close to hundred percent healthy and you still feel like you should go and tough it out. No, you should not do not put yourself at risk like that in the long run for short-term success. Just do not do that. It is just the worst decision you could make. And I applaud Lamar Jackson because I'm sure that noise, I'm sure he heard that noise. And, um, you know he made absolutely the right decision in that scenario so you know whatever i was just so tired of that uh, so tired of that discussion over the weekend i thought it was just just really really annoying um the other thing i have heard a couple things about that were that frustrated me about this mainly the 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 ravens i i don't know how much i've heard it from the ravens but the dolphins i've heard it from dolphins fans i've heard it from is the moral victory side of it um you know that's the best loss we could have hoped for um you know that sort of thing the problem with moral victories is it's okay to take them during the regular season because it's something you can build on, obviously. But when it comes to the playoffs, if you're losing a game that you should have won, then that's a bad loss. That's that's just inherently a bad loss because you effectively should have won the game, but you lost it. That's a bad loss. You can have those moral victories after losses like that in the regular season, obviously, because that's something you can build on with a lot of the same team, a lot of the same people around you and stuff like that. You can build on that and continue and move that forward into the playoffs and use that to your advantage in the playoffs. There, there shouldn't be a single person on that team, on any of those teams, that is saying that that is saying we should have won that game or anything like that. If we had that, yada yada yada, we should we would have won that game. That is not how that should work whatsoever. If you had the chance to win that game even without those people, then you should have won the game. That is how it works. Moral victories don't count for anything. In the playoffs, because come next season, well, one, it doesn't matter because you lost the game, that's the end. You can't build off of anything like that after the season is over. You have people leaving, you get new coaches, yada, yada, yada. It's a whole, you're starting essentially from fresh in 2023. It doesn't matter what happens in the playoffs, if it's a moral victory or not. Everything changes come off season. Um, and then, you know, during the regular season, you at least can build on that and use it coming into the playoffs. But the playoffs, moral victories are bad losses. That That is That is the way I take of it. That's my opinion on those matters. I've heard fans say that. That's the best possible loss we could have in that situation. That's not a thing. A bad loss, a a good loss is a bad, a a moral victory loss is a bad loss because you could have won that game. That is all you're telling. That is all you're saying in that situation is that you could have won that game and you didn't, which means that's a bad loss. Could have won that game and something slipped out of your hands. Caleb Huntley or excuse me Tyler Huntley have I been saying Caleb Huntley this whole time? I think I've been saying Caleb Huntley this whole time. I apologize. Tyler Huntley. Caleb Huntley running back for the Falcons, you know, two football players, Huntley Huntley, you know what I mean? Tyler Huntley. He if they get that ball over the end zone, I you know, if they get that ball over the line before that, you're talking about a win, not a moral victory where you lost the game because you were that close. That's not how that works. You just didn't ex the execution just didn't work out on that one play. Uh, moral victories in the playoffs just don't I I hate that. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. There should be not, you should not be counting yourself a moral victory in the playoffs. You know, you either win or you lose. Okay. I'm getting, I, I hate the way I'm stating this, but the moral victories just, they bother me. I just don't like moral victories during playoff season. You can take those during the regular season all you want because, again, you can build off of those things. You can build off the moral victories with the team that you have around you. Everybody can kind of build around that. Everybody can grow from a moral victory like that. A loss in the playoffs, you're done. You get eight months to think about it now. Maybe you could change a little bit in the 2023, but you might not have the same guy that was next to you during that loss and so on and so forth. You might not have the, not have the same guy that was coaching you in that loss or anything like that. It's just a different set of circumstances. Everything changes. Um, so, yeah, the moral victories in the playoffs, I, they just bother me. I hate it when people say it was a good, it was a good loss. It's the best loss we could have had. Um, best loss you could have had, that's a bad loss. That's a bad loss, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay. Is that every game? Did we talk about every game? I think we talked about every single game in the wild card weekend, the good wild card weekend. We had a lot of good games, one blowout for the most part. And that was kind of the worst game of the weekend, but everything, I guess two blowouts with the, the Cowboys and the, and the, the Bucks and then the Niners and the, uh, and the uh, Seahawks. But other than that, a couple surprises, the bills and the dolphins, they played each other. Well, dolphins played the bills. Well, Uh, and then the, uh, the uh, Bengals and the Ravens played each other. Well, the Ravens, Played the Bengals well. I was surprised by how well they play that. And then, of course, the incredible comeback. It was a good weekend, a good wild card weekend. I think for the first time that we had the increased playoff format, I think this was a success for the NFL. I think they'll see this and be like, yep, this we did this correctly. We did this the right way. Uh, this was the correct decision. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for the divisional. I think my my team, or not my team, excuse me, my, my game that I'm most excited for, I mean, Cincinnati versus Buffalo really quickly, actually speaking of Cincinnati versus Buffalo, I guess we didn't really preview this one very well. Um, This is a fantastic game. I'm, I'm super excited to see this, this game, in my opinion, though, should be being, should be played at a, Neutral site, uh, given what happened in week 18 or week 17, excuse me, with the Mar Hamlin that was during the Monday Night Football game between these two teams. Um, this game seems like it makes more sense to have this one at a neutral site than if Buffalo wins this and goes on and plays Kansas City. But like this game should be at a neutral site and they play this one because Cincinnati could have been the two seed Buffalo, the three seed and vice versa. I don't know why this one is not the 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 uh, the the neutral site game. I wish it was. I'd love to see these two teams play in like Atlanta or something like that, where they're just carving it up on in a dome in the middle of winter. That would be a ton of fun to watch. Um, but they're not. Nonetheless, they're going to be in Buffalo. Uh, tough draw for Cincinnati, honestly. Tough situation. Um, but you know, not a lot you could do about that at this point. They're essentially just you're going to have to roll with the punches of that. Um, so. An interesting matchup we saw against Buffalo. Miami was able to get a lot of guys open on the outside wide receivers. Tyreek Hill, granted, you know, Skyler Thompson was throwing the football, so it wasn't like they had the most effective quarterback in the situation. Granted, Thompson didn't play terrible. He actually played better than I think a lot of people would have expected. He put 31 points up against Buffalo, which is, uh, that's a good showing if you're Skyler Thompson, uh, third string quarterback. Um, So we'll see what Buffalo finds a way to cook up here, but I think they have a very good slew of wide receivers on the outside that should be able to take advantage of, again, the not necessarily issues that Buffalo has on the outside, but things that you can... um, Things that you can pick apart on the outside. They did just get Jordan Poirier back. That's the, the bills got Jordan Poirier back. That's a huge get for them on the outside up at safety. That's a, that's a great addition to have back uh, from the injured reserve. Uh, if you're the Buffalo bills, but um, I think Cincinnati has the pieces in this game. The Granted, here's the problem for Cincinnati. Their offensive line was dreadful against Baltimore. Baltimore was pressuring Joe Burrow. It felt like every single play, that was the biggest issue that they had in that game was the pressure. They could not keep people off of Joe Burrow in that game. And if you can't keep people off of Joe Burrow, then uh, Joe Shiesty cannot cook. Okay. He cannot throw the beat deep ball down to Jamar chase. And that is basically those 50, 50 balls are essentially their bread and butter. It's essentially Joe Burrow throws it up to jamar chase or you know tyler Boyd down the side t higgins down the sideline that sort of thing and it's a 50 50 ball and usually one of those guys is going to win that and win that 50 50 ball now if he's not getting proper protection on the offensive line those 50 50 balls can't build up and he can't hit somebody down the sideline in those scenarios which ends up just being a sack or a pressure that doesn't in, uh, amount to anything which is a lot of the reason why baltimore was in that game for a lot longer than i think a lot of people expected um And that could end up being a very big problem for Cincinnati against Buffalo. They have a very good uh, blitzing front. They have a very good front without blitzing in terms of getting pressure to the quarterback. We saw Matt Milano, who was very good against uh, against uh, the Dolphins and pressuring the quarterback as well. He could wreak havoc against this offensive line in Cincinnati. So that could cause a problem. But if Cincinnati figures out, figures out a way to build their protection against Buffalo, then it could be a long day for Buffalo. If they're not getting anything too any any anybody to the quarterback in Buffalo, if they're not getting anybody to Joe Burrow, then uh I think T. Higgins or or Tyler Boyd or Jamar Chish should be able to not necessarily pick apart, but they should be able to uh win a lot of those 50-50 balls that they're gonna throw up um and and essentially win off of that because that's kind of the game plan for Cincinnati. That's what they're very, very good at. And there's not a lot of better people in the game right now the in terms of tandems that are Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase at, at throwing up those uh those seams down the sideline and and watching Jamar Chase come down with it and score a touchdown in that sense. That's how they beat the Kansas City last year. That's nearly how they beat uh the Rams last year in the Super Bowl. Very similar situation. That's essentially how they've beaten people the last the last 22 weeks in terms of football schedule um is that is that entire that entire, uh, that entire mantra. Um, so, and, and really, uh, Cincinnati, in my opinion, does not get enough credit for how good defensively they really have been all season. I think they were, they, are top five in EPA per play all season long, or excuse me, top 10 in EPA per play. They were, uh, eighth in EPA per play all season long. Uh, they're a little bit better. Second half defense, uh, than they are in terms of in terms of game second half game defense than they are in the first half. Um, but they, I mean they've really played better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. They're right there, right behind the Bills and EPA per play on the defensive side of the ball. So could end up being a tough matchup for the Bills. But again, Bills solid defense as well. Um, they're a little bit worse than the Bengals in drop back EPA um, and a little bit better than the Bengals at rush EPA. So a little bit rush def- a, little, a little bit better rush defense for the Bills. Uh, a little bit worse pass defense for the for the Bills versus the Bengals, and uh, this is a great matchup. I and mean, this is, I mean, for the for the for a divisional round matchup, this is probably as best as we're going to get looking at the rest of the schedule. Um, this is a great matchup. Two of the most evenly matched teams in the AFC for sure. I mean, one, two, three: Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. You cannot cut it up any better. Those are the three best teams in the AFC, and it's good to see that these two teams are playing each other in a divisional for a possibility to play the. Um, the chiefs, if they get past the Jags um, for in the AFC championship game. So, this is a very interesting game. I think this is going to be the game of the week, in my opinion, and it uh, should be a lot of fun to watch, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see Josh Allen, Joe Burrow cook it up together. We didn't get to see their matchup in Week 17. No fault of their own. You know, don't blame them one bit, obviously. Don't blame the the league for cutting that game off, obviously. No problems with that. Um, I wish this game was on a neutral field. I think that would only be fair to the Bengals, who knows what was going to happen in that game, uh, and I think it's only fair that this game be on a neutral field, not necessarily the AFC Championship game, if the Bills make it there, be on a neutral field, but... You know, whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, so we'll see what happens in this matchup between those two teams. Um, I'm excited. Divisional round. We're here. We're already almost to the superb owl, the Super Bowl. Um, it's it's going to be here before we even know it. And then we got the Pro Bowl before that. I, I don't know. I asked my buddies this, actually. Um, I, I I'm curious to hear people's opinions on this. If you were, this is before this year. If you were offered either the monetary value of Pro Bowl tickets or Pro Bowl tickets, which one would you take? A lot of my friends answered the monetary value of pro bowl tickets. I don't think there's any other sport that that's like that. I think I would rather go to NBA all-star weekend two MLB all-star weekend. The home run derby is a great sell. The NBA all-star Weekend, the three point contest is a great sell. The game itself has turned into a great game, uh, an NBA all-star weekend. So I don't, it's funny how, uh, in the dark, really the NFL has become when it comes to their all-star quote unquote, all-star weekend. Um, so yeah, I, I gave that little experiment. I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts in that situation. Leave a comment in uh, in the share in the podcast Wyoming, uh, the podcast Wyoming comment section, if you wouldn't mind of this podcast. If you'd rather go to a Pro Bowl or just take the monetary value of the actual tickets because you couldn't be bothered with the Pro Bowl, and I'm talking about the old Pro Bowl, not necessarily the one that's coming out this year because it's like Flag Football. They're doing a bunch of games and stuff like that. Not the same thing, but like the old Pro Bowl. Would you still want to go to that? And I don't. I don't think I would have wanted to. Granted, it wasn't Hawaii, so that is a that's a nice trip. But I don't know if. I don't know. Uh, one, it's a very long flight, obviously, and I'm going for the Pro Bowl. What's it's like, you know, I, I, I've got no desire to go see the Pro Bowl, really. I, I guess I'd be taking that trip more for the the trip to Hawaii than anything. Um, OK, moving on here. I'm going a little bit past time here. I'm I'm pretty long into this podcast, but we're going to wrap up here with a little bit of uh, the UFC because they have had an absolute doozy, an absolute doozy of a week this past week. Um, UFC, I guess it really all started with Dana White. This was new year's. I guess it's been more than a week now. I guess this was new year's day, right? Or a little bit after new year's day. Um, Dana White was seen, he was filmed, um, hitting his wife, slapping his wife. Um, she slapped and then he slapped, he went back for another slap. Uh, it was very bad in video. It was a a very, and he's, he's come out and said, uh, for people not to defend him, obviously. um, And, you know, he shouldn't have to come out and say that, obviously. He should not be saying, asking for people to not defend him, obviously, because that should not be a thing that's happening. Uh, You shouldn't hit, you know, women. Uh, Crazy statement I'm making. Shouldn't hit women. Wow. Crazy statement. Um, And that's really turned into a disastrous. I mean, that's kind of helped really excel the convert well one i think dana white in this in, in this situation has not helped himself at all he's not taking any punishment uh from either endeavor who is the 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 rights holder to the ufc um and then espn has come out who was the the people that sell their pay-per-views essentially um have, have not come out and tried to force dana white's punishment or anything like that dana white came out with a really bad um uh, well i don't want to say really bad but a misaimed Press conference the other day where he said, "quote There are no excuses for it, and it's something that I'm going to have to deal with and live with for the rest of my life." Uh, One thing that I do want to clarify in this thing that I didn't want to talk about on TMZ because I didn't expect it or see it coming is the people that are defending me. There is never an excuse. There is no defense for this, and people should not be defending me about this thing, no matter what. All the criticism I have received this week is 100% warranted and will receive in the future." End quote. He goes on to say, "Uh, in in uh, he's asked." Uh, about his punishment if he is going to take a punishment of any kind. He says, quote, if I take 30 days off, how does that hurt me? Uh, White said me leaving hurts the company, hurts my employees and hurts the fighters. It doesn't hurt me. I could have left when UFC was sold in 2016. Do I need to reflect? No, I don't need to reflect. I've been against this. I've owned this. I'm telling you that I'm wrong. But listen, we have had plenty of discussions internally from Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel. ESPN, no one is happy, neither am I, but it happened and I have to deal with it. End quote. Uh, here is the the end of this quote as well. Do you, quote, do you want to know my punishment? Here is my punishment. I have to walk around for however long I live, and this is how I am labeled now. White said, my other punishment is that I am sure there is a lot of people, whether it be media friends, acquaintances, who had respect for me, might not have respect for me. There is a lot of things I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life that are way more a punishment. And uh, the final quote, the punishment is that I did it, and now I have to deal with it, end quote. Um, and for the most part that is true um he does have to walk around with that on his back but to me that is not a proper punishment for a situation like that um i i don't know he could be saying that in terms of um to to more or less get the people off his back i guess uh, even though i don't think that necessarily is working either i think that's actually turning more people against him because there should be a more uh justifiable punishment for this situation. Um, and the quote that really took me, not it didn't take me aback, but I was more, um, more confused by, it was the one where he says, if I take 30 days off, how does that hurt me? Me leaving hurts the company, hurts my employees and hurts the fighters. It doesn't hurt me. I could have left in 2016 when USC was sold. Um, and you know, the quote goes on, but really the, the, the start there, it says when, if I take 30 days off, how does that hurt me? Um, it hurts the company. And that to me is very much a, a uh, an eye opener, I think, and he's not wrong necessarily about that. But I think that's also part of the problem with the UFC. If you have somebody like Dana White, who is the CEO of that company, um, uh, not really the, the the president. I don't know what he is exactly. The the exact terminology: CEO, president. Um, you know, CEO, president, whatever he is uh, of Dana White. The the president, I guess, is the official title. The president of UFC. Um, if you are in that position, you should not. The effect of you leaving shouldn't drastically hurt the product that you're putting out there with a product that is so focused on the things that aren't happening around you, if that makes sense. He shouldn't be the focus to that company. UFC, the fighter, should be the focus of that company. Not Dana White. That is not how that should work. We know Roger Goodell, but not necessarily for anything that he does outside of, you know, the draft and stuff like that. I mean, he does stuff a lot of behind the scenes, but he doesn't work. He, he's not the leader of the NFL by any means. He is strictly there to be the the owner's um. Lapdog is the wrong word, but he essentially works for the owners in that sport. Um, He's not fam- more famous than a lot of the players in the NFL or anything like that. The players, for the most part, have a lot of the power in that sport. um, Other than you know the NFL ha- or the the owners uh, also have a decent amount of power, but they're also you know they're they're unionized. So there's one union versus another, and they come to a collection of collective bargaining agreement. That is not the case for the UFC. It's uh, every other sport. Um, the MLB, the uh, the NBA, they're all collectively bargained. That is not the case for the UFC. It's essentially the UFC uh, paying fighters essentially whatever they want. If uh, the fighters agree for it, there is no unionization for any of the fighters in that sport, and it's a lot different. And for the most part, that causes a situation where Dana White more or less uh, becomes the face of UFC in general. Um, he, To me, I, I've always made the comparison that UFC is WWE, but turned down by about a thousand percent. A lot of the same situations we see in UFC are similar to the WWE in terms of, you know, they have their press conferences where they call each other out. They're igniting rivalries and stuff like that. But granted UFC, uh, a combat sport, you know, whereas you at WWE, I'm not trying to make offense to WWE or anything like that. It's performance art, that sort of thing. It's not, um, legit I, I don't want to say legitimate combat but you get what i'm saying where ufc is more uh it wwe is scripted ufc is not is not scripted whatsoever so it's a little bit different but a lot of the stuff the pomp and circumstance that happens outside of the ufc is very similar to what happens in the wwe vince mcmahon to me very similar type of uh, ceo and management style that Dana White has. (laughs) Uh, I'm surprised we don't see Dana White coming out of the, coming out of the, uh, coming out of the the back room and walking down to the, to the octagon with music on in a similar way that Vince McMahon does. Um, just because that it feels like we're not far away from that happening because that's the type of person that Dana White is. He is the management in a similar sense that Vince, Vince McMahon is the management in WWE. He has become a character that more people latch onto than a lot of the fighters, unfortunately. Um, And because of that, uh, we see a lot of underpaid fighters. There's a a great, uh, a great article in uh, Yahoo Sports that uh, by Kevin Lowell, he was a combat columnist he wrote in August of 2022 that talks about a lot of the pay gaps and things like that. And I'll read some of the quotes from that article. Uh, in an example, uh, he states that, quote, In 2022, the minimum NFL salary was $705,000 $705, or $41,470,000 per game. The UFC's minimum wage is $12,000 per fight with a win bonus of another $12,000. So a first-time UFC fighter who wins his or her debut will make at least $24,000 for that fight. And if he receives a post-fight bonus, it could go up to $75,000. But let's assume that... Rookie UFC fighter completes, competes three times in a year and wins two of their three fights but gets no bonuses. That's a yearly fighting income of $60,000. If we multiply that by 11, the amount the NFL's revenues exceeded the UFC's, that fighter would make six hundred and sixty. dollars thousand dollars so it's not quite the nfl level but comparable on a proportional basis uh, end quote in there and he continues here quote but where the ufc fighters come up short is at the top end conor mcgregor was the number one fighter on forbes high or number one number one entirely on forbes's highest paid athletes list in 2021 with 180 million dollars he made 22 million dollars in competition and 158 million out of the uh, out, out of the octagon McGregor's athletic earnings paled in comparison to the others on that list, though. Number two, Lionel Messi made $97 million on the field. According to Forbes, Cristiano Ronaldo made $70 million on the field. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott made $97.5 million on the field. And LeBron James made $31.5 million. Number seven, Roger Federer was the only one who made less than McGregor in competition on that list. And it was because he was injured and missed most of the year. That's the biggest problem with the UFC in my opinion. Uh, and it kind of the the fighters and the UFC in general, they are not coming together in terms. these guys are essentially having to fight because they need the paycheck. It's not necessarily because, I mean, they want to, obviously, I'm not doubting that whatsoever. They want to be in these fights as well. Um, But at some point, they have to come back. They have to come back to the trough because it's the only thing they know. Again, they are the top athlete at what they do, the very best of the absolute best at what they do, and the comparison of the NFL, which is the very best at what they do, versus the UFC or even boxing, box kids. If you want to be into combat sports, Do boxing. Don't do the UFC because you will get paid a ton more in boxing than you will in the UFC. Um, So Floyd Mather, perfect example. He made $450 million boxing. $450 million boxing. I believe that was just in the past year. The last year before he retired, he made $450 million. Uh, There is no unionization in the UFC. So there was no collective bargaining or anything like that. The players do not have a union or anything like that. So there's no way for them to come back and, and, uh, unless they're one of the top fighters in the world. And even then we just saw Francis and which was what this all kind of led up to Francis and gets cut from the sport, the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, one of the best, most, uh, most interesting fighters in that sport right now, probably if not the face of that sport, uh, one of the faces of the sport gets cut by the UFC because all he's asking is for better wages. Again, he's the best fighter, uh, the the king of the heavyweight class a lot of people come and buy the pay-per-views with just Francis Nganu on it because he is an, an incredible draw for that heavyweight class uh, other guys like Izzy do that Conor McGregor did that in his heyday as well there were a couple other guys um but Nganu felt like the new heavyweight guy that everybody would come forward or come forward to come watch and lo and behold John Jones was a, another one as well obviously and we just saw John Jones he got announced as a new fight. Uh, he got he has a new uh, new fight coming up with coming up with Surreal Gone, which is going to be uh, I believe in sometime in 2023. I don't have the date right in front of me. Uh, March 4th it looks like. I think it's March 4th. March 4th. Yes, that's correct. Uh, March 4th. Which uh, I, I saw this and I was like, wow, what incredible timing! Of course, this is when they announced this. John Jones has been away from the sport for essentially a thousand. I, I think it's a, a thousand plus days, and uh, the biggest a controversy that's come over Dana White, other than the whole pay scandal. Um, the payment scandal is, uh, is, is when they released one of the biggest fights uh, that we've seen in, uh, in recent memory with John Jones coming back in surreal gun for the heavyweight title. Of course, that's when they released it. To me, it was a clear public stunt a uh, PR stunt just to try to draw any sort of attraction from, from, uh, from Dana White away because we're all addicted to, the methamphetamine that is uh sports and and fights in general it doesn't matter what happens what dana white does if you're bringing out john jones after a thousand days to come and fight on the march 4th card then everybody's going to be gathering around to come and watch it no matter what happened i thought it was very um very just astute timing by the ufc very clearly um and then Francis Ngannou gets cut obviously because he was the he was the champion and now that belt is up for grabs and they have a weight division so now John Jones and Cyril Gagne will fight for it. Uh I was just you know this whole situation for Dana White one no punishment um for for the abuse of his wife hitting his wife at a party in Being caught on video uh, does not help at all either because that is going to stick with him, and it should, but there should be a more professional punishment in those situations than just saying, yeah, I have to live with it now for the rest of my life. That's the worst. And also him saying that him going away for 30 days is going to hurt the company. That wouldn't be smart. That's not a good way to set up a company. That should not be built around one guy it being your president in that situation where that move will sink your company, especially in an entertainment business like the UFC. If, if, you know, Roger Goodell ended up decided to leave uh, the stock price for the NFL, even though it's not, you know, stock uh, or anything, you know, or whatever it, it would hurt the company. Sure. For a little bit, but then you'd see, you know, uh, Tom Brady and Dak Prescott, you know, uh, fighting it out or battling it out on Sunday night football and be like, okay, I'm back. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, we're, we're completely okay. Okay that's just how it work that's just how it should work it should be more focused on the fighters than anything than it should be on Dana White that his departure for 30 days should not affect the company as severely as he thinks it's going to affect him regardless of what he believes or not or how important he thinks he is or not in my opinion i just think that's a that's a bad excuse for not having a reason to to um to leave the fight game um so you have your payment issue in that sense and then you've got i mean the payment issue is a problem enough with just the fights but then the fact that you got um you know, your, your corporate sponsors on all over the mats and all over the octagon and stuff like that. And it doesn't pay them nothing. It doesn't pay them. It doesn't pay the fighters anything. They had a 10 year with crypto.com. They signed a 10 year, $175 million deal. I believe that was in 2021 or 2020. If I remember correctly, um, $175 million deal, 10 years. They got the fighters, the people that draw the people to, the event, not Dana White. Dana White does not draw them to the event. He's not going in that octagon and fighting anybody. He might as well be the Vince McMahon because he's going to talk behind the microphone as much as he wants. And it's not going to amount to really anything. It's just going to be him talking. The fighters that draw that draw those cards, that draw the pay-per-views, that draw the people that want to come and watch. Guess how much money they made off of that deal. $175 million, 10-year deal with Crypto.com to be on the uniform for the fighters the official fight kit partner for crypto.com is crypto.com on the UFC gear that the fighters are wearing. Guess how much they got out of that? 0. They made 0 dollars out of that deal. The fighters got nothing. They got nothing. 0% for the fighters. There's 0% for the fighters in the TV deal that they get with ESPN and there's 0% from the deal that they get from all the other sponsors that are all over the octagon and all over the cage. They get nothing out of it. It just makes no sense and they don't have the power to unionize because Dana White if that even gets brought up he can cut them off the off the card or whatever he can cut them out of the UFC and just get rid of them and that to me in that situation that is a guy one too much power in that situation UFC the fighters should be the draw and they are the draw in that sport they they should be the draw and they are the draw and the fact that he thinks that Dana White thinks that him leaving for 30 days is going to have a bigger impact on the outcome of the country, or excuse me, the company, then him cutting Francis and Ganu will have a bigger outpa- impact on the company is just mind boggling. I mean, that is mind numbing, okay? Mind numbing. Francis and is gonna go box Tyson Fury or whoever, and that's gonna draw millions of people in. That's gonna be one of the biggest fights of the past 20 years, even though Francis and Ganu does not have any boxing experience. Everybody wants to see him fight Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder or Anthony Joshua. And, And Dana White could have had that with any of the heavyweight fighters in the UFC. It would not have mattered who it could have been. It could have been any of them, and Francis Ngannou is going to go make a damn bag in boxing because uh, UFC and Dana White just refuses to pay the people that deserve to be paid in that sport, and Dana White thinks he is more important than the people that deserve to be paid in that sport. If you could could replace almost any, I, I don't want to say you could replace Dana White with just about anybody, but Dana White thinks he's more important than I think he actually is in that situation. More people are going to come for the fights in the UFC. Francis Ngannou, the Conor McGregor's, the Khabib Nurmagomedov's, the 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 you know whoever right? the list goes on the Izzy's, I mean the list goes on and on and on and on then they are going to come and see the Dana White press conference or anything like that. That is just not I I think he is overclassifying how big he think he he thinks he is in that sport and it just it bothers me to the nth degree because he's letting guys like Francis Ngannou walk from the sport because they he won't pay them even though they have the money. To pay a guy like Francis Ngannou to stay in the UFC, they won't pay him because he deems himself and the product more valuable than Francis Ngannou. And it may be in the long run, but right now Francis Ngannou is one of the biggest polls you're going to get in the UFC. And um, I, I hope, I really hope and believe that they are going to come and regret that decision when it comes down the line. And just this whole situation with Dana White, there's no reason to believe that um, his punishment would cause any harm to the actual sport itself to the programming itself or anything like that. uh, It's just kind of despicable. Uh, He sees himself as more important than the actual punishment that he deserves, I guess is, is really the, the, the big time, which is really an accumulation of everything that also happens around him uh, in, in the UFC as well. So, I have no idea what they do. Um, I think he deserves a suspension at the very least. If you're, uh, if you're, uh, if you're the UFC, if you're in Denver endeavor in that situation, I think he deserves a suspension for that, uh, for what he did to his wife. I think it's unacceptable. He knows it's unacceptable, so he should know that he deserves a punishment for that, uh, and not some sort of sorry punishment of him saying, you know, he has to walk around with it. That's not a, 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 not a professional punishment. You would have to walk around with it, even if you did need a professional punishment, an actual justifiable punishment. You would have to walk around with it regardless. That's not good enough, in my opinion. Yeah, You hit your wife, the person that you're supposed to love and trust more than anybody, you laid your hands on them and hit them, went back for twice. It went back for seconds as well, uh, as it shows in the video. So, um, you know, uh, in that situation, you know, I think he just has to, to me, it's just an accumulation of the things that Dana White um, seems to be in my opinion. Uh, And uh, it's just there, the the timing of a lot of things that happened this week were direct reflections of what was going on uh, with Dana White in that whole situation. And uh, yeah, it's just a a mess. UFC just kind of a mess right now. Um, I hope Francis Ngannou goes on. And I mean, if there's any guy in the sport that deserves the absolute bag, the absolute best that we can give him, Francis Ngannou, Uh, the guy seems like a great guy. He has an incredible story. If anybody knows about Francis Ngannou, go look up Francis Ngannou's story. It is one of the most unbelievable stories you'll see. And um, the guy is the best in the world at what he does in his division. And of course, he's going to come and say he thinks he deserves to get paid like it. And I tend to agree with him. So. That's my comments on that. That's my commentary on that. Um, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, we're, we run. We ran way too long in this episode, but I hope you stayed for the whole episode. I appreciate it if you did. Um, but remember to leave a rating and everything like that. You know, like, subscribe. You those aren't things. Uh, follow, rate on all those podcasting platforms. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I'll be back next week as well, next Tuesday. And uh, for now, this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast, and I've been your host, James Timberlake.